Welcome to the latest episode of Harlem Stories. I'm Robert Lazo. I'm Adam Feinberg. And in this episode, we're going to talk about structuring a successful offer. Success! <laughs> Success. So, yeah, ultimately, you know, all of our clients are coming to us. You know, they, you know, they hope that we're going to represent them, you know, to the best of our abilities. We have a fiduciary responsibility to do so. But not every agent is going to have the same skill set and being able to, you know, uh, be able to present offers that are going to be as successful as others. Um, when you're a listing broker, a little bit more than a buyer's agent, when you're a listing broker, you tend to see um, the way various a- agents will structure their offers. And, you know, if you're looking at a condo, very often the you, what you'll see is very, very sloppily written offers. And, you know, you're, you're kind of questioning, are they really serious about this process? So these are so, like some of the topics that, you know, we're going to discuss and, you know, some of the ways that you can potentially succeed. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to kind of keep this short. And there's some things that are going to be, you know, specific to your situation that, you know, might be just best discussed one on one. But, you know, at a bare minimum, we can kind of lay some of the groundwork there for you. I want to just ask one question. Is it possible to submit a verbal offer? So a verbal offer in, in, in New York City, is it possible? Yes. I mean, ultimately, but the reality is, you know, usually that's going to be more condo oriented um, because, you know, unless it's going to be like a sponsor unit sale or something of that nature, um, the reality is the the listing agent is going to want to see a pre-approval. They're going to want to see proof of, uh, of funds. You know, they're going to want to see other information. So, you know, maybe to kind of kick off the process and say, hey, you know, um, you know, my, my client wants to offer this. And ultimately, that might kind of give a heads up in the process. So in other words, expect to be submitting a written offer when you're making a serious offer. Correct. Yeah. So it, it you might be kind of opening the conversation up by, you know, verbally stating something. But in reality, yes, you want a written offer. And this is what the agent does. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there, there's different qualities of, uh, of you know, written offers and, you know, what I've seen uh, in the past, obviously, you know, when you're looking at condos versus co-ops, that's going to be a big difference. Um, whether you're looking at, you know, all cash offers versus, you know, a financed offer contingent on the financing or financing non-contingent, obviously, these are all going to have different effects on your offer. Uh, and sometimes just something as simple as identifying your, your, let's say you're a buyer, identifying your attorney in advance of submitting an offer, that could help really make the difference in, in strengthening your offer without spending any additional money. You know, I always tell, you know, clients that, you know, depending on what you're looking for, you don't necessarily always have to be the highest offer. Um, there, there are ways to, you know, to increase the quality of your offer without necessarily spending any additional money. So that's certainly one of those methods, you know, in, in doing so. But I also think that a good, solid, structured offer that's well thought out uh, can also help make the difference between, you know, whether a client is going to win, you know, win the apartment or not. And it's one of those things that costs absolutely nothing. But it does, you know, does require the agent to know what they're doing and to invest the, the amount of time that it takes to fully analyze and review what that client is able to bring to the table. 
So in other words, it really uh, makes a big difference just to be prepared and organized with the assistance of your agent. Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, a lot of clients don't, well, I haven't met many clients that really say, I don't care what this costs me. Uh, I want it. You know, it does happen. Uh, but most of my clients, are, you know, really want the, uh, the apartment for the least amount possible. And, you know, the least amount possible is sometimes just making sure that you're properly organized. Um, you know, and that could make the difference. So, you know, there's, there's a number of different factors that, you know, come into play aside from just being organized. And I've already mentioned that, you know, having your buyer's attorney, you know, uh, you know, up front. And, you know, that's one of those non, non-monetary successful things. And that also indicates that you're prepared. You're ready to go because you already have an attorney that's working for you. Yeah, absolutely. So you've already, you've already said, yeah, I'm serious about the process. I want to move on this immediately. So that that's the message that it sends when you already have your attorney selected. So let's just talk about like some of the components of what makes a successful offer. So first, you know, first and foremost of what you're going to wind up seeing is most deals in Manhattan are going to go based off of comps or comparable properties. And, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, your um, broker should really be making, uh, you know, analysis of this and giving the buyer a good sense of what is the norms going for for an apartment that's similar to this. So in other words, um, the broker would be looking at recent sales, ideally in the building. Ideally in the building. Um, a lot of times, especially in Harlem, most of these buildings tend to be smaller. So we don't always have that luxury, especially if they start getting aged. Um, but there might be instances where you might want up using something aged. Um, rare, but every once in a while it happens. Now, I, I should add at this point that if a property is, you know, is well-priced versus the comps, typically what you're going to usually see is that, you know, it winds up ultimately selling somewhere between 1% to 3% off of the asking price. Um, in a hot market, it might go for asking price or above. But, you know, for those that are real discount and value hunters, you know, if your broker says, I'm like, it aligns with the comps, then odds are you're probably not getting 10% off. Uh, so, you know, um, I, I have seen instances where you, you can get a rather large discount, but just know that in Manhattan, you know, if something is well-priced, 1% to 3% is usually what you can expect. And that's 1% to 3% from the listing price, and that uh, the sales price is calculated by observing the comps and making the offer based on the comps. Uh, well, the first part of that, yes, absolutely. The second part in terms of the asking price, well, we certainly hope that the seller was being realistic in the first place. Um, sometimes either the listing broker either, you know, got the listing because they promised the seller a price that was, you know, unrealistically high. And then they figured, you know what, we can always chop the price from there. Don't like that approach, but there are some agents that, that take that approach. And, you know, but more realistically, a lot of times what happens is the seller thinks the apartment is worth more than the broker does. And the broker is sometimes willing to take the chance of investing their time and money and marketing budget, uh, you know, to marketing something that they might not agree on the price with. Sometimes it works. More often than not, it doesn't. But 
you know what? Uh, sometimes from the seller's perspective, they might look at it as maybe I'm going to be one of those cases where, you know, where it works. So, you know what? Their their view on it is, you know, let's let's give it a shot. Now, from what we've seen from the data, uh, more often than not, unless you have something really, really, you know, that's really high demand location, uh, apartment, some feature in the apartment, something like that, the building, uh, more often than not, that, that strategy is not going to work. Right. So the uh, buyer's broker that you're working with, if you're a buyer, is going to be on top of the comps to know uh, what things have recently sold at. And also the, the seller's broker as well. So that's kind of where we get to an agreement. Yeah. Yeah. U- ultimately, we're not going to wind up having a deal uh, in- until we get to that agreement point. So, you know, it, it should go without saying, obviously. Um, but in Manhattan, and it's also worth mentioning that, like, even when we come to an agreement, let's say we do have an accepted offer, it, you know, it's not an official deal until both sides sign those contracts. The the buyer also moves the 10 percent uh, 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 deposit into uh, the escrow account. And that's also known as earnest money. You might hear that that term throughout the country. Um, but we just say 10 percent deposit. Um, and then that contract that's signed by both sides is then delivered to both parties. So um, there's a lot of due diligence that happens that uh, has to happen before then. But that's getting a little ahead of, our, of ourselves. So, you know, let, let's go back a, a little bit and talk about like, so we've already now discussed the comps and, you know, potential pricing in terms of the way the initial asking price or the current asking price is structured. So we're going to look at the comps. Um, next thing that they might wind up looking at is, are you going to be all cash? Are you going to be uh, financing contingent and the deal contingent on getting that financing? Or are you going to be financing, but you're not contingent on getting that financing, which means in theory, you could purchase all cash, but you prefer to finance. And if the financing doesn't work out, you, you'll go all, you'll agree to go all cash. So each one of those is going to have its pros and cons to it. A lot of times that buyers are kind of expecting the discount for the all the all cash offer doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, the reason why is in Manhattan, they're just such a large percentage of buyers are all cash. I want to say for condos, I think it's right now a little over 50%. For co-ops, it's a bit under 50%. Last I knew, I thought it was around 37, 40, somewhere around there. But it, it, you know, you know, a large percentage of condo and co-op buyers in Manhattan are all cash. So that discount does nothing you know, special. What it does do is offers the seller, number one, they don't have to worry about an appraisal and the the red tape of a bank. Um, But also, it's much faster of a deal. And that's really what the the seller is kind of looking for in in that sense. Financing non-contingent, it's obviously you're slowing the deal down by having to worry about the appraisal and all that paperwork. Um, But obviously, they know they can get the deal done if, you know, if they're going non-contingent. So the riskier of the deals is going to be, you know, uh, going to be the financing with the financing contingency where they have to finance in some way, shape or form. Now, uh, there are certainly risks there to doing that, whether the bank appraisal is going to align and sometimes the bank appraisers are wrong. And there are ways to challenge that. But that that's a topic for another day. 
Uh, but more importantly, it, it's kind of like the way that buyers, uh, the way that sellers kind of view those situations is, you know, if you're financing less than 20 percent uh, uh, in co-ops, you typically don't have an option to finance less than 20 percent. In most buildings, they want at least 20 percent, if not a lot more in some cases. Uh, but in condos, you could get away with 10 percent. Uh, but you know, there aren't a whole lot of banks right now that are willing to finance 10%. And what you mean is uh, 10% down, 90% financed, and then uh, for co-ops, it would be minimum, uh, uh, well, it depends on, on the co-op, right? 20% right. down and 80% financed. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's the thing. But when you're looking at condos, the, the fact that so few banks are willing to do it, and then what happens if the appraisal is off, they're expecting the buyer to come up with the price differential or the deal could wind up getting killed. Uh, or alternatively, it, me it could mean that the seller needs to renegotiate the price. Um, so that's why there's a lot of offers like, you know, buyers come to me and they're like, oh, I can do 10% down. And I let them know, I'm, I'm like, well, 10% uh, down, we can t technically get a deal done. Uh, it's definitely fewer banks that will accept it. You might need to pay a little bit of a higher rate uh, just because of that. And there's obviously there, there's uh, I know there's that um, PMI component to it. So you're going to not only you might pay slightly higher rate, but you'll have to pay the PMI on top of it. But on top of that, the, the seller might be concerned about the appraisal component. And if it doesn't appraise right, they might not get their price. So uh, it's not necessarily considered a strong offer when you put down 10 percent. An offer is an offer, so that's great. Um, but at the same time, do understand that you know it's more of an uphill battle. It's one of those things that if you can afford to put down at least 20%, it strengthens your offer. You're not changing the price. Obviously, you're changing your cash position, but, um, but, but you're not changing the price. So when we talk about ways to strengthen your offer without necessarily paying more, well, in, in, in some way, shape, or form, you're not paying more maybe your uh, your total allocation of investment funds might be, you know, uh, changed up. But, you know, just know that that is, you know, a potential component in negotiations. And that will kind of help determine um, whether you're the strength, you know, a component of determining the strength of your offer. Now, if your financing is um, financing contingency an important thing to do or something to avoid? Um, it's going to be on every individual's buyer circumstances. Obviously, if they can afford to go all cash, that is certainly a recommended way to go because it's just easier and faster and a lot less headaches for everyone. It's easier for the seller to agree on. Now, I will say there is a little bit of an exception to the all cash component. There are some co-op boards, even though the seller might like uh, an all-cash offer, there are some co-op boards that actually do not like uh, an all-cash transaction. So they are actually stricter on the buyer in terms of what they're going to ask for in the board package. Um, so it's kind of like a funny negotiation tool when we talk about that. Um, since we are talking about condos versus co-ops, another thing worth mentioning over there is, you know, for those that uh, especially usually, usually I encounter this when a buyer is first 
getting started. Uh, and they're putting their first bids in. They haven't really gone through the bidding experience. They don't necessarily know me very well. Um, so th they're trying to go under the impression that like I can bid as low as I want and, and I, I'm going to have a you know, high success. So, you know, with that, you know, I want to make the distinction in that I'm like, certainly you can bid as low as you want, uh, even if it doesn't align with the comps. It is your money. It is your opportunity. I tell them, I'm like, it is ultimately I can put together recommendations in terms of uh, bid amounts. But the final decision is yours. It's going to be your money. That said, um, in, when it comes to bidding, though, there are, you know, some some concerns there. So when it comes to condos, you can bid as low as you want. There's no repercussions other than potentially insulting the seller. So if you're too low ball, they might not want to hear from you again. Uh, you know, uh, just know that that is a possibility, but that doesn't necessarily stop a deal from happening, but you could insult them. They might not want to hear from you. Um, but it, you know, you could take that chance and, you know, whether they heard from you or not, at least you tried and you can take that attitude, but it's very, very different when we come to co-ops. When it comes to co-ops, uh, just because a seller might be okay with accepting a low number doesn't mean that's the end of the story. The reality is, let's say you get your, your, your seller, they agree to a lowball number, and what winds up happening, you go into contract, uh, you s submit the board package, and the board then rejects the buyer. And they don't have to tell you why they've rejected, um, but in recent years, it was more likely because they were not happy with the price. So it could be the individual person and their circumstances or their financials, but more often than not, we've seen a lot of rejections uh, in, in, in the last uh, few years that are more to do with the price than anything else. So warning, um, it's easy to lowball in a condo because there are no real repercussions except upsetting the seller. But in a co-op, it's a very different story and you have to get approval from both the seller as well as the board. And, you know, so I warn my buyers, uh, if you want to lowball, co-ops are not the place to do it. Uh, make sure that, that your offer aligns with, with the comps. Now, there could be some limited circumstances that are exceptions to that rule, but just understand, you know, that you know, we're putting that caveat out there for you. So, you know, um, you know, we've talked about like the offer amount. We've talked about like finance contingency. There's going to be overall uh, strengths and you want your, buy, your, your, your overall buyer uh, and the buyer's agent to review that REBNY in depth. So it's not just good enough to submit the REBNY. Uh, and any agent worth their salt should be reviewing the REBNY and they should be analyzing it on behalf of their client. And when they submit an offer, then analysis should be included. So they should be looking at that debt to income ratio. They should be looking at that post-closing liquidity. And they should be making sure overall that, you know, that all the numbers align, everything there makes sense that is in the REBNY. And, and, you know, and a good agent should actually be reviewing the REBNY and finding potential ways to improve on it, too. And the REBNY is a standardized form by the Real Estate Board of New York, which is essentially a financial statement and a kind of an income statement as well. Yeah, it, it's it's um, it's kind of like a uh, the com like a mini combination of like balance sheet and income statement is is the easiest way that I tend to describe it. Um, you know, if you don't know how to fill it out, if you're uh, if you're nervous, if you're not sure about it, speak to your agent. A good agent will know how to navigate the, the form for your circumstances. They'll walk you through it. 
yes, it is intrusive. But then again, if you're buying a co-op, which is more, it's more important for the revenue on a co-op than a condo. Now, your agent should know, you know, everything that they need to know in order to help you negotiate getting the uh, winning winning an offer. Um, so whether it's a condo or a co-op, I do ask my buyers to fill out the revenue because that way I know I can better help them if I understand their full financial picture. It's not as necessary in condos, but I still ask for it anyway, uh, just so I know that I can really do my best job for that, that client. But in a co-op, it's absolutely essential. And, and it's essential because ultimately, if the co-op board is not going to accept a buyer that has a debt-to-income ratio that's too high, and by the way, it to, you know for most buildings, it's going to be a max of 28%. You might find buildings that are more conservative than that or, or more liberal than that. But, but generally speaking, for the vast majority of buildings, if you have a debt-to-income ratio of under 28%, you're going to be just fine. But, you know, but just know that your your broker should be reviewing that that revenue. They should be presenting it in the offer, in that written offer as, you know, uh, you know, the buyer's debt to income ratio is this. And, you know, maybe there might be some special circumstances. And we work around that. And we might even, you know, go back to the listing broker and say, hey, you know, this buyer's circumstances and like they have something unique in their financial profile. Um, we can present it to you the revenue this way or we can present it to you that. That way and in consultation with the listing broker we will then know you know which is which is going to be the better version that's going to be better uh let's say uh not approved but uh, i want to say just better accepted uh by the board and and you want to look at that and and say you know what yeah this is kind of going to be better with this particular board so it, it even though it is an adversarial process the the reality is especially with co-ops um, there is a, a certain amount of collaboration that can take place between buyer and seller agent just simply before because everyone wants to see success at the end of the day. So, you know, it's really going to depend on each individual buyer circumstances. But overall, you do want your your agent to, you know, be able to review that revenue, be able to communicate what's in there effectively and how it relates to the, the type of policies that you might expect in a particular building. Now, we might not know the specifics to that building and the nor the seller's agent might not know because the board typically doesn't release that kind of information but the seller's agent should at least have an inkling of kind of what to expect and guidance on that end you know so that's another way that like a buyer can you know work with it i've had you know i've had situations where my buyer especially with co-ops i had multiple situations where my buyer was not the highest bidder but they had the the strongest overall profile so, you know, just keep in mind, you know, especially when you're talking co-ops and keep in mind, co-ops are like roughly what 70% of the overall uh, uh, market in, in order to purchase a home in, in New York City. So if there's 70% of the market, you know, know that these conversations are really relevant, uh, you know, to the, to the way that these go down. So the reality is the way we want to focus in, we want to be able to make sure that we can present our buyers in the strongest way possible and elaborate that all in writing. So if your agent is not doing all of that, then, you know, you might need to start thinking about, you know, what the right agent uh, skill set is for your particular situation. And we see agents of all skill sets, you know, throughout throughout the industry. So, yeah, just, you know, give that a second thought and, you know, and talk to your agent about like what they do, you know, in terms of, you know, board, in terms of offer submission, how they do it in their process. So that way you you have a better understanding whether that agent might be right for you. 
Um, you know, and, and you know, in terms of now that we've got you know some of these details there, and there's just so many more you know little details that we can discuss. You know, but I think some of these are better suited for one-on-one -on -one conversations, understanding the specifics about each of you. Um, a common question that I do tend to get on a regular basis is, you know, from buyers is, can I bid on more than one apartment at a time? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. So, you know, the, 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 I guess the kicker to that question or the follow-up to that question might be is, um, well, what happens if I'm successful on and I get an accepted offer on both? Well, at some point, you know that you're going to have to accept only one or hopefully only one, assuming due diligence pours out. But um, you'll need to speak to your attorney about whether they're going to want to charge additional fees for doing uh, a due diligence on two apartments at a time unless you make that decision before it even goes to the attorney. Um, but the reality is, yes, you can bid on more than one apartment. You can have more than one apartment accepted at once, too. You know, this is all confidential and, and, and it's non-binding until there's a contract signed. So I know in other states like New Jersey that like an, an offer is actually binding. So, you know, in New York, that is definitely not the case. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's important to understand, you know, what a buyer's responsibilities are, you know, if they were to submit more than one bid. Great. Um, let's see. Anything else about uh, structuring an offer and, and being prepared? There's, there's just so many, you know, potential uh, paths we could potentially go on this. You know, I do think, though, you know, anything more is more of like a one-on-one -on -one conversation and understanding, especially once we do get that revenue. And it is a, you know, good practice to get that revenue in, you know, as we're starting the search. That way we know, you know, to kind of, you know, help customize your search as well. Uh, you know, but but I think so much of this is really going to be determined on a one to one basis, you know, and each of these conversations will be customized. So, yeah, there's so much more that I have in my in my head that, I you know, that we can talk about. But, yeah, I think those are more better suited on individual circumstances. Well, great. Well, thank you all for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode of Harlem Stories. Thank you. Thank you.